the Evidence-Based Dermatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 90. There is no diagnosis of exclusion in rheumatology. Today will be a quick episode, but I wanted to share an editorial that I wrote along with Jay Patel and Anisha Dua a little while back. I think it's a fun read and a quick editorial and will make for hopefully a fast, fun listen for your drive to work or wherever you're hearing this podcast. So with that, let's start it. Many rheumatic diseases, including PMR, seronegative RA, sarcoidosis, CNS vasculitis, fibromyalgia, and Bichette syndrome, have been described as diagnoses of exclusion. While some may disagree about the particulars, PMR, for instance, may also be diagnosed by pattern recognition in response to treatment. All of us have encountered this phrase before. Like other pseudoprobabilistic aphorisms, the phrase diagnosis of exclusion suggests a preceding thoughtful diagnostic evaluation. Simply invoking it conveys the gravitas of Sherlock Holmes to training presentations, clinical documentation, and innumerable up-to-date articles. But should it? In our experience, a diagnosis of exclusion is subjective and conditional, which misaligns it with the principles of diagnostic reasoning, resulting in unnecessary testing and premature closure. Invoking the diagnosis of exclusion, aphorism, immediately begs the question, to the exclusion of what? In rheumatology, a pre-specified list of all possible exclusions does not exist. If asked to provide an exclusionary list before arriving at Bichette syndrome, for instance, five rheumatologists may opine seven different conditions. If asked two weeks later, the same group of rheumatologists may well provide different lists entirely. This is because any list of exclusions will necessarily be subjective and conditional. Such lists are subjective because a list of exclusions depends upon a combination of prior experience, cognitive dispositions, physician biases, which vary greatly from rheumatologist to rheumatologist. They're conditional because they depend upon the patient's presentation. A patient presenting with oral ulceration and fatigue may invoke a different set of illness scripts for exclusionary diseases as compared with the patient presenting with oral ulcerations and retinal vasculitis. Digging deeper reveals greater problems for both the diagnostic process and the patients it serves. For the sake of argument, let's imagine that we could all agree upon appropriate lists of exclusions for the aforementioned diseases. What is the sensitivity and specificity of a rheumatologist design that the list has been excluded? This question cannot be answered because diagnostic tests have not been designed to function this way. We can say with confidence that a negative test decreases the likelihood of vasculitis. We cannot say how that same test influences the likelihood of Bichette syndrome or sarcoidosis because diagnostic testing has not been designed for a reductionist process. Diagnostic tests increase or decrease the probability of a disease for which the testing has been studied. Outside of this context, we are misapplying basic principles of diagnostic reasoning. Beyond theoretical concerns, approaching medicine using a diagnosis-by-exclusion framework results in overtesting. When I was in training, I ordered an, a rheumatoid factor and a CCP as part of a workup for a patient who presented with signs of acute Lofgren syndrome. When the rheumatoid factor came back elevated, we instructed the patient to ignore the finding. Why did we send it then, other than to satisfy a list of exclusions for a diagnosis of sarcoid arthropathy? RA could not explain the patient's highly lymphadenopathy, erythema nodosum, or the tattoo-adjacent rash that had recently been biopsied and found to have non-caseating granulomas. More commonly, we have all experienced the consult to evaluate a patient with fatigue and a positive ANA, which was ordered to exclude lupus as part of a fibromyalgia workup. The unnecessary testing incurs costs and engenders confusion for patients who end up paying the piper to satisfy our need to exclude. Conversely, the diagnosis of exclusion framework may result in diagnostic error. I once inherited a patient with CNS vasculitis that had been diagnosed after all other possibilities were excluded and started on high-dose steroids and cyclophosphamide. 
The list of exclusions did not apparently include CNS lymphoma or a biopsy as part of the initial workup. After many relapses, he ultimately underwent a biopsy and began appropriate treatment for CNS lymphoma. In a more recent example, a patient with PMR, because alternatives had been excluded, was later found to have TIF1 gamma dermatomyositis and esophageal adenocarcinoma. In both cases, diagnostic momentum and premature closure ensued, and the subjective list of exclusions had been inadequately applied, despite plausible alternative diagnoses. Even in cases where the diagnosis of exclusion framework has resulted in an adequate workup, it closes the imagination to reasonable future possibilities. For cases of fibromyalgia, for instance, the diagnosis of exclusion suggests that early seronegative RA has been excluded and therefore should not be considered again. On the contrary, we've all seen cases where presumed fibromyalgia later proves to be an inflammatory arthritis. Similarly, the diagnosis of PMR after exclusion of GCA suggests that GCA has been excluded, when a more appropriate approach would be to reassess for GCA at every visit. By its very nature, the word exclude is paralyzing, conveying a degree of negative certainty that invites cognitive biases. But who could possibly replace Sherlock Holmes? We recommend emulating Thomas Bayes, the patron saint of the probabilistic thinking that underpins diagnostic reasoning. Bringing Bayesian reasoning to clinical medicine requires a different and ultimately more patient-centric set of skills. These skills include expertise in epidemiology and narrative medicine, which allows a diagnostician to perform a pre to formulate a pretest probability that the person before them has a disease. They include knowledge about the performance characteristics of physical examination findings and subsequent testing, and an ability to use this knowledge to arrive at post-test probabilities. Most importantly, this perspective encourages rheumatologists to become proficient in communicating risk, embracing uncertainty, and considering alternative diagnoses. We think it is time to exclude diagnoses of exclusion from the rheumatologic lexicon. The aphorism is subjective and conditional, has resulted in overtesting and diagnostic error, and runs counter to principles of diagnostic reasoning. Embracing the uncertainty of a Bayesian may be difficult, but diagnosing rare and amorphous diseases has never been elementary. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. It's a brief piece about an aphorism that drives me crazy, and I hope you found it interesting and kind of lighthearted and fun. You can find the paper itself at Rheumatology. You can find me on Twitter at EBRoom. And that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>